Well, that Purdue game sucked. Right, Ben? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Roll it. Listeners, it's uh, us, the Herbal Brothers. I really wanted this to be under better circumstances. I did. I yeah. did. It, it's like seeing like a long-lost friend at a funeral. Yeah. That, it, that, that's what the seasons felt like. Sitting with me right now? No. no. It was like seeing a long-lost friend at a funeral? <laughs> no, this whole season has been like, well, it's nice to have you back, but I really wish we weren't seeing each other like this. Mm. It just kind of feels sad. You're like, I remember the good times, but when I'm around you right now, I just feel sad. Yeah. Or maybe just like fans in Memorial Stadium. It's like sitting around watching a. It's like putting a pet down. Yeah, I mean, when the family gathers together and goes to the vet, the, the hospital together, the vet, the vet clinic together. And the hospital. Put, the, <laughs> <laughs> pull up with your golden doodle to the hospital. Doctor, help my dog. So you show up to the vet. It's all everybody's kind of gathered around the waiting room. It's kind of like what sitting in uh, in the stands at Memorial is like. Um. So, Husker fans, Nebraska last Saturday kicked off No Nut no- November in such a way. With the most Olympic performance. <laughs> uh, there was most definitely no nutting happening on Saturday. Uh, the thing about Saturday's game was I've been told for years now when watching Nebraska football was, oh, that game Saturday was the lowest of the lows. Yeah, I keep finding a lower and lower rock bottom. That I'm not convinced I'm truly at rock bottom. Like you're not at rock bottom, or this program is both, not. Mm-hmm. both. When it, like my Husker football fandom, it reached a point where Saturday after the game, I went, hmm. well, got some other stuff to work on today. So I went outside, yeah. and did yard work. Yeah, I went. <laughs> I was played, like, I went and played pickleball. The the game finished up, and I'm like, well, that's at least now I can do my yard work. I don't have to waste yeah. my time watching this game. And I've never felt that in my time as a Husker yeah. fan. This is what happened. I was hanging out with people. We all got pickleball paddles halftime we went and played some pickleball and the thought crossed my mind genuinely do i want to go back and watch the rest of the game or do i want to keep playing pickleball? because you knew you knew in the, se- you knew in the second quarter <laughs> in the second quarter you knew you saw that purdue came back and we couldn't put it away early and you went mm, it's happening again isn't it mm. you knew yep and oh, even even more in the fourth quarters where i felt that i well I just felt a sense of finality. I knew Purdue was getting the ball back with how many minutes left on the clock? Five? Four or something. Four minutes? Five, yeah. Um, and immediately I knew. I turned to the person next to me and said, this is what's going to happen. Purdue's going to drive down. Uh, oh, the minute gonna, the minute we score. scored with four minutes left, I'm like, mm, yeah, this is not the end of the this scoring. This is not going well. Uh, I said, there's either going to be one or two scores left because either Purdue's going to go down and score and then we're going to lose or Purdue's going to go down and score, we're going to go down and miraculously win and all the Husker fans are going to be like, well, it shouldn't have been close, but a win's a win. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, so I turned to them. I said, Purdue's going to drive. They're going to burn time off the clock. They're going to score a touchdown. And then we're going to have like 
a minute left to do something with it, and we're not going to be able to do it. And I think, I'm assuming most of you well-educated Husker half-hour listeners saw that coming. <laughs> or at least whenever Nebraska got the ball back with a minute, you had, at that point had started to not pay attention to the game, or you had started to, to give up on the game. Um, because you knew. You knew that Nebraska, immediately, the first, oh, first play, when, when the offense went out on the field with a minute left, uh, and it was just a incomplete pass, is that what it was? Uh, just you immediately knew. I have some issues with do. the coaching in that scenario. Cause you got one time out left and I understand you want to save that. But at the same time, I think whenever you complete the ball over the middle and get fourth and four in your own end, uh, you got to call your timeout. Cause you got to make sure it's you got one play there to get at least five yards and the clock's running. You don't want to do that in a hurry up system where you have to call in a player from the sideline. Uh, I have a problem there with the coaching. Uh, game, uh, o- game overall, problem with o- the coaching? overall, the, the blame is equal. I believe between players, and between coaches. players and coaches, uh, the, the, the fourth down, not calling a timeout with one timeout left 30 something seconds left in the, in the fourth quarter, you have it third and four and the clock's running. You just had to get up to the line. It's excusable. I can understand why to keep the timeout. Uh, one that I think is inexcusable is our play calling after Darian Daniels, uh, interception to get it in like the two yard line. Yeah. Are you kidding me? A well-designed shovel pass. I'll give him that. But then uh, Farniak misses a block. It gets blown up. And uh, it's down to play two. And then we have a weird, long-developing RPO play-action type play where th- that play call made no sense to me. On the three-yard line to have a, to lo- a long-developing play-action slash RPO type weird play. Weird run, shovel pass, little... That was, that was play one. Oh, okay. The shovel pass was play one. one. And then Farniak missed a block, blew it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, second play was Martinez got sacked on the long-developing pass. That's right. Pass. That's and right. then on third down... Uh, is a straight drop back. Uh, Martinez uh, escapes the pocket, gets out to the right side, gets down to about the one-yard line, gets knocked out of bounds. And then my biggest complaint with that play calling is fourth and goal early in the game from the one-yard line. You don't trust your offense enough to go out there and punch it in. Mm-hmm. I get it. You you want to make it a double-digit lead early, but at the same time when you're on the road and you have a chance to put a game away like that where you can go score, really demoralize the other team, make it 14 nothing after their offense has only been on the field what five six plays total because they had the first drive that they punted away from us mm-hmm. or they punted away and then there was a Darian Daniels pick the next drive correct yeah um and I, I think that's your chance where you got to go put the game away mm-hmm. and which, the, the, which... the coaching staff has preached for so long mm-hmm. you got to play with no fear of failure but the 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 call to kick a field goal there was a fear of failure play Quite staff. literally, fear that the offense would not be able to get a touchdown. The- and I, I think all signs point to going for it there, besides the fact that it's early in the game. Mm-hmm. That they want to get points on the board. Purdue, worst rushing attack in the Big Ten. They ran for over 100 yards on us because we suck. Um, but I think early in that game, whenever you have the ball in the half-yard line, if you don't pick it up, you give Purdue a team that can barely run the ball, You they have to get it off their own goal line. Which means they're going to run the ball a couple times. You should be able to stop that. Um, maybe even get a safety. And if you don't, uh, they're going to have to punt the ball back to you. And you're going to get the ball probably around midfield, which you often should be able to go score. So I just don't understand kicking the field goal one bit. Hmm. That's not playing with no fear of failure, which is what the coaches have preached for forever. To the point of being upset. Yes. <clears throat> yes, because it feels hypocritical. Hmm. That, that, that was my big takeaway from the game was I didn't feel like anyone – 
was playing with no fear of failure. I don't think the coaches were coaching with no fear of failure. I don't think the players were playing with no fear of failure. I think from the moment the first quarter ended, Purdue started making their run in the second quarter. I think every single player was playing with a fear of failure. Mm. Is that a statement of where our team's at in this point in the season in terms of settling for not, not being in a position where the, our back's against the wall rather than being in a position of, of the freedom to play with no fear, fear of failure where we've secured a playoff or playoff. We've secured a bowl game already, you know, hypothetically, and then we are in a position to play with no fear of failure because we have nothing to lose in a sense. Do you think that's because of situationally where we're at in the season right now? Where, uh... Well, I want to take it back to last year because last year got to the end of the year, and that was the big thing of progress as we saw. Mm. Was we saw a team that had effort, that was playing without f- fear of failure, that was going out there and was whenever the things got tough, they, it, they stepped up a notch by the end of the year. And it didn't look like at the beginning of the year, but by the end of last year, when things started getting tough against Michigan State, against Iowa, um, I know Iowa ended poorly, but there was still a good second half comeback from Nebraska there. Uh, and Michigan State was a tough team coming and playing in the snow, and we stepped up and played one of our better defensive games of the entire year. Mm-hmm. And then we start this year off, things don't necessarily go our way um, early in the couple games. We get like a little half response, and then we blow it against Colorado. And from that point on, it has just been whenever things got tough, our team crumbles. Which says to me that part of that is a, a player personnel issue, um, differences between last year and this year, but also just the fact that the coaches, there's a lack of trust in the team, fundamentally. Um, whether I, I, there's I, I no think... fear of failure, they're fearing fear of fa- they have a fear of failure because they fear that the team will fail. I mean, there's a lack of trust in in personnel on the field whether that's the offensive line to be able to control the ball and get a push for a yard or a half yard uh whether that's in terms of adrian being in his first game back in the month nearly uh you know they're across the board a lack of trust in the players we have out there well people not playing their assignments people not doing their job but i think it goes both ways and i think we have a problem with the team right now where the the team out there on the field knows that the coaches don't want these guys on the field i think the guys that are out there playing have this feeling uh, with the exception of a couple guys, they have this feeling that the coaching staff would t- rather toss them to the side if they had somebody that was just as good as them. And I think that leads to a lack of trust from the players. I can't speak on that truly in depth because I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. Mm-hmm. But that's what it feels like to me is that the players are giving up when things get tough because the coaches yell at them and they go, well, if you're going to yell at me, put in somebody that you actually like because you, you didn't ask for me. You don't want me here. You're trying to find replacements all summer for me. Um, and it, that that's a part of their mentality. Is I don't I don't think the seniors want to fight. They don't want to fight to be on the field, mm-hmm. and, and they take offense whenever the coaches ask more from them because they know that there's guys behind them that are coming up that the the coaches like more than them. I guess. Yeah. Um, Elijah, going into this game, I think it might have been a, a commonly held belief that Purdue is the worst team in the Big Ten West. Yeah. <laughs> they were. They were. They got murdered by Illinois. Mm-hmm. That That's another frustrating part of the season. It was just that it's gone downhill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The team we trotted out there week one, week two, week three, it wasn't a, a great team in hindsight. We struggled against South Alabama. We blew it against Colorado. But that was a team that played hard and cared. Mm-hmm. Against Illinois, we cared still. And now we the team just has this look of they're going out there and going through the motions. They, they, they know... It almost thinks seems like they're doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing. 
mm. in terms of effort, in terms of they, they know how to do it right at this point. They they saw the end of last year. They, they saw the beginning of this year. They know how to do it right. Sure. And they have taken over laziness and or laziness and just giving up has taken over the, the culture of the team. A potential diagnosis for me on that is that even at the beginning of the season, let's say we're not a great team, we're still playing with the attitude that we are a great team. Mm-hmm. Like we're still playing with the belief that that we are deserving of the hype. And at some point in that season, players started to take on the attitude that we weren't worth that or that we in playing down to the level that maybe we actually were, or I don't know, even underplaying the level that we should be playing. We, we shouldn't be losing to Purdue, right? We shouldn't be losing. Well, Minnesota should have been a better game than it was. Minnesota should have been yeah. better. We shouldn't have lost to Indiana. We shouldn't have lost to Purdue. Right, right. Just, just based on the talent we bring into this program right. and the amount of money we put into our program. So that makes me question – a week after Scott Frost coming out to the media and saying we are just an okay team and a locker room talk of maybe similar vocabulary, does that conversation looking back backfire in terms of players settling and saying that we're just an okay team and whenever we get down uh, against a team like we faced on Saturday, we play with just an okay mindset? Or did the comments make the team want to give up on the season? Mm-hmm. That That's, I mean... Since Minnesota, it's a team. That's a team that came out flat, and the majority of the guys feels like gave up. The Davis twins feels like gave up. Um, Lamar Jackson has given up on the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at his play. He played lights out up until the Minnesota game. Didn't have the best game against Minnesota. Comes out and has an awful game against Indiana, and then has a another bad game against Purdue. The the man's got all the talent in the world. He just doesn't have the mentality. Right, and that that's the problem with the team is. The defense, especially, they, they don't even have all the talent in the world. Mm-hmm. We, we we have a defense that's just okay with a bad mentality. Mm-hmm. The, the defense last year was a just our right defense with a really good mentality, especially by the end of the season. Yeah, the senior leadership, um, and we had juniors that were stepping up, juniors that were stepping up that seemed like they wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. And that's the most confusing thing is most of the guys that were playing at the end of last year are back this year. That's why everyone expected a, a big step up. But instead, guys have regressed back to their, to, to how they were before. And Frost it feels came. like a slow fade from beginning of season. You said this already from the beginning of the season to where we are currently. Uh, an inability for a defense to stop a third string quarterback, making his first, uh, no, his his third appearance, college appearance. But uh, how does that work? Anyway. A third-string quarterback. Uh-huh. Uh, walk-on. A walk-on, walk-on third-string third quarterback. quarterback. And we couldn't stop him. He drove. He controlled the what, ball well. He led the offense well. Six for seven on the final drive. Right. It, Pathetic. play management was great. I, I give I give him credit. I give Jeff Brom's play calling credit. Mm-hmm. But that was not a game that Purdue beat us in. Mm-hmm. That was a, a game where our offense um, couldn't really string together a drive after the first quarter and a half. Um, I guess fourth quarter they did. But... Um, it was a defense that didn't look like they wanted to be on the field. And it was a Purdue team that was taking what the defense was giving them, which was a lot. And a Nebraska team that was refusing to take what the Purdue defense was giving them. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not a, that's why it feels so much worse is because anyone who watched that game knew that Nebraska was talent wise better than Purdue. Mm-hmm. Especially with, with Rondell Moore being out, uh, and what's the, uh, who's their starting quarterback. I'm going into the game, second string quarterback. Plumber. Into it. Yeah, well, Plumber's. Plumber's one who game. went down injured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but not <laughs> being able, talent wise, stacking up, you knew Nebraska had the advantage. That's, I mean, that's why, coming back to the point we, we brought up to 
send us into the section that Purdue looked like the worst team in the Big Ten West going into this game. And Nebraska found a way to lose is what it feels like. Uh, we left so many points on the board in the first half, um, at least three drives worth that should have ended in touchdowns. That's a game that at the end of the first quarter should have been 28 to seven or 28 to 10 mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But instead at the end of the first quarter, it was uh, 10 to seven. No, no 14, 14 to, to 10. No, it's 10, 14 to 10 at halftime. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And that's a game that should have been 28 to 10 at halftime. Mm-hmm. You know, is there were three, Probably four drives in the first quarter alone we should have scored on. Should have scored touchdowns on. I'm still bad that we couldn't punch it in whenever Darian Daniels got the pick. How? You have Dedrick Mills. You have a 6'2", 240-pound quarterback. With you, those two in the backfield, how do you not score? Give us that formation where Dedrick Mills is the lead blocker and, and Wandale it's squeezes pathetic. in between a hole, you know? yeah, It's pathetic. Yeah, that's This Nebraska team this year is pathetic. And I want to ask you. Does it come from these guys getting down on themselves because of the the media scrutiny and the the fan scrutiny that comes when you play at Nebraska? Mm. So so oh, do, as, do, as, as, I'm, oh I'm asking I'm I'm just putting it out there. Is mm. this a a problem where these guys think they're terrible mm-hmm. because they see what the people say on Twitter and social media? They see, see people come on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They see what the news stories are saying and they go, hmm, these guys are right. We are bad. We're a disgrace to the black certs. Why even give effort on Saturday? Mm. Is that what's happening? What do you think? Uh, how many of them actually read articles? How many of them actually... I mean, the Austin read? Allen and a couple other guys said after the game this week that they were going they, in deleting social media. Yeah, that was the they, first thing they were doing whenever yeah, they got on the bus. Yeah, Austin Allen was headed to the bus getting off of social media. Because uh, regardless of whether or not they want to see it, they have thousands of Husker fans following them. Right. Regardless of whether or not you want to see it, whenever you're a Husker football player... I mean, that's just how, like, Twitter algorithms work. Stuff's going to come up on your profile. You're going to see it. Right. You're getting DMs. You're getting whatever. Uh, you tweet out something about, like, your girlfriend, and somebody's going to say, focus less on your personal life and focus more on winning games. Yeah. So, Oscar fans say some terrible things. Yeah, 100%. And it, it's the it's not the, it's the outlier. It's not the norm. But it happens. People care too much. And they're going and commenting on these dudes, like, Twitters and stuff. Is that what's causing... Right the problems within the program. I, I don't think you can blame it on that, but you can't I, blame it, it on it, but it's got to be a, pro, it, it a creates part of a culture it. or it creates like an air around the team. It creates an air around the season. It creates Markel Dismuke tweeted last week. He had his whole thing where he had a, uh, a ticket and he didn't show up to court and he had a warrant out for his arrest for like two days last week and mm-hmm. he got it solved. It wasn't, it wasn't a big thing, but then after that happened, um, it had become news in Lincoln. He tweeted, it's been a slow news day, I guess, because they're tweeting about me. He's like, dude, you're a Husker football player. Yeah. You should understand. It's not a slow whether or news. N- whether or not you like it, you're a household name in Lincoln. Yeah. And what you do on the field on Saturday impacts people's, people in people's lives. Whether you like for it or how not. how sad that is. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> ha- you have signed up for this. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think we have a problem within the team where we have guys that can't handle that kind of limelight and that kind of pressure. They think they can when they come here. Mm-hmm. And it's easy whenever people are praising you on Twitter, praising you on social media, saying, pick Nebraska, we'll love you forever. We're the best fan support in the country. And then they get here and they realize, I don't just get this fan support. I have to earn this fan support. Mm-hmm. And I thought being a household name is going to be awesome. It's not awesome. I have more pressure on me than anybody, any other 19-year-old in the country. With the exception yeah. of, you know, the, the superstars, but I think that leads to 
people being tired. I think I feel like a team out there who looks tired and a coaching staff who seems tired and seems exasperated for giving answers. And I think that plays out into coaches and players both looking forward to the off season, <laughs> looking for a fresh start. And I think that's how many of you listeners are probably feeling that, man, I just want the off season to be here. I'm so done with the season. Mm-hmm. I think the players and the coaches that are coming back next year have to feel that way too of, we just need a fresh start. We need a breather. We need a break. <laughs> like let this be over. Um, are you picking up on that at all from, from the team? It's, I mean, I, I can't say what the players are feeling. Cause it's, I mean, every player is an individual. I'm sure every single player is feeling different, Yeah, and, but and, you, you got to think whenever you go out there and I mean, these guys, at least early in the season, put, they put their body in their, their, I mean, they, they put it all in the field, really their body, um, they prepare for a whole week. It takes over their lives. And there's got to be nothing more demoralizing than you putting it out on that line. You lose the game and you come check Twitter and people say, this guy's not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. This guy's a, a disappointment for the program. This guy's just not good enough. He shouldn't be on the field. And I think it reaches a point where you say, well, I'm a disappointment to people regardless in this game on Saturday. Why am I going to go try all week? Mm-hmm. Or like, I can go through the motions and look like I'm buying in throughout the whole week, but Saturday is going to come around and whenever I realize that things aren't going my way and I know, hmm, the people are going to be saying stuff, it's a little, it's just in your head the entire game. So I think part of the issues can be tied back to just how loyal Nebraska's fans are and how much the fans care. Mm-hmm. Or has there been a curse placed on Nebraska <laughs> by Frank Solich in his exit that we'd be, we would be forever cursed to, Black lose, magic. to, to lose the turnover ratio? From now until the year 2020, he would he cursed us to uh, have this stretch at some point before, by 2020 that we would lose this many games and not make a bowl four years in a row. I think it's the curse of Frank Solich, Elijah. I think it's the, the curse of Nebraska fans themselves, just having <laughs> too high expectations. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. We were spoiled. We, we were for 10 years. 15, I mean, from 80, I guess you could even include the 70s in there. The 80s, there were some up and down years, but then back to the 90s, it's eliteness. Mm. And that, that's un, un, not sustainable in a college football world. As soon as Nick Saban retires, Alabama um, is going to slowly fade back down. Right. Or the question exists as well, what's Ohio State going to look like in three years? Yeah. You know. Ryan Day has inherited a great program. He can keep a great program going. Um, but eventually that is going to lose traction and eventually whatever Ryan day gets fired, whatever Ryan day goes and takes a job in the NFL. Um, Ryan day is just average and you never know what's going to happen. And that program in four years is not going to look like, it's not going to look like what it looked like three years ago. I'll mm-hmm. say that right now. Mm-hmm. Things change in college football and things are going to change with Nebraska, but I, I don't think Nebraska fans realized that in the early two thousands. That football is changing, and sometimes you come to a new coach and things. He's got to get some time to get Frank Solich's system in place. Right. And then we go, well, he went 10-2 and this season, didn't make the conference title game. Fire him. Let's tear it up. Let's bring in Bill Callahan. And then Bill Callahan's not doing good enough, so we fire him, bring in Bo Pelini, and he turns things around a little bit. And Nebraska has, like, what, one year of being content with Bo Pelini? Yeah, and then, and then it's mm, Bo Pelini's stuck at ten and two. He can't win a national championship game four years in. He hasn't won a national title game yet. Right. We're, we're getting restless. Man, what does that season? What does that look like now as a Bo Pelini dynasty if he's still around in twenty nineteen? 
kind of could be an interesting. I didn't feel like his recruiting. That, that could be an interesting was, Wednesday yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 I agree, though. I don't think his recruiting was sustainable to go be a high-level Big Ten program for years to come. Sure. The whole the whole thought with firing Pelini was, we're in the Big Ten now. Um, we need a fresh start, someone to make us an elite Big Ten school, not an elite Big 12 school. Yeah. But it's hindsight bias. Yep. Oh, God. Good vocab word, Elijah. Um, so that, that moves me to the next point, Elijah, as we're getting close to wrapping up here. Um, Nebraska fans at this point have to reconcile the fact that we're not going to make a bowl. <laughs> this year? Oh, hell no. Yeah. Yeah, no. That If you, after the Indiana game, thought, well, maybe we'll still make a bowl, mm, it was wishful thinking. Just because, not Which wishful okay. thinking. Uh, I mean, I thought it was possible, but I wasn't going to bet on it. Just because I saw the Nebraska team, and I saw the kind of effort they were putting in for their games, and I'm like, we're not going to beat Wisconsin, we're not going to beat Iowa, and I felt like we were going to slip up against Purdue or Maryland. Right. Now, after we lost to Purdue, I think we could slip up to both Purdue and Maryland, and we finished the year at 4-8 again. Mm-hmm. And that makes me want to cry. <laughs> It really does. That's good that you still feel something on the inside, dude. This is my third hour today talking about Husker football. Mm-hmm. And I talked about it with my roommates over the weekend. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it's sadness. I, I, I say I don't care. And I think a lot of Husker fans are the same way. They say, oh, that's it. I don't care oh, about this say, team anymore. You'll be back say, next I'm, week. I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're not making a bowl. We don't deserve it. I don't care anymore. We, t- we talked about how big making a bowl was for this program. They'll do it three, four extra weeks of practice. Yeah. We're not getting that. We have to skip that. A, a, <sighs> one more year without the culture shift of being able to say we're a bull team year in, year out. I, I don't want to spoil our Wednesday episode, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have a question from i don't know i'll think of it later where this person is from uh oh wait i'll read it later um but is this a lost season for nebraska i'm just putting the idea out there yeah i don't want to answer it yet because i think there's a good argument both let ways. that stew husker half hour and, and i'm not going to give you my opinion but i'll give you the the thoughts both ways one is that we're four and eight again we missed a bowl that was our minimum goal this year essentially coming in people were like as long as we just make a bowl i'll be content but we should do a lot better that's what people were saying going into the season mm-hmm. It's another bowl season for Nebraska. It's another losing season for Nebraska. That's nearly guaranteed at this point that it's going to be a losing season for Nebraska. Uh, it feels pretty lost. But on the other side, you have the development of the younger guys. You have a coaching staff who is learning. People forget about that. Mm-hmm. Scott Frost has not experienced anything but success anywhere he's gone. He gets a couple years to learn and say, and to look at himself in the mirror and go, Part of this has got to fall on me. What have I done wrong the past two years? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the type of season that Nebraska fans wanted. Is it lost? There's an don't, argument don't both ways. It. We'll, we'll talk it. about it Wednesday. Yeah, think about that. Come ready Wednesday, listeners, tomorrow. Uh, ready to talk about it. Ready to, to listen. And, or and if you're think. listening to these both in one sitting, you could be listening to this in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's true, too. Um, so, Elijah, needless to say, Husker fans... Stay tuned for next season. <laughs> the light is um, currently gone from yeah, our lives. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's be hopeful. I think all all you all true Husker fans out there know that there's another season next year and another season after that and another season after that and it's it's going to be worth it. And nothing nothing nothing. Nothing besides no oh no, nothing is permanent in college football. Mhm. Eh. I mean, are there any exceptions to that? Are there any teams that have just been bad for forever besides Hawaii? 
Hawaii's well, even, Hawaii even beat Nebraska once. So um, I'll, I'll just say that Husker Nation. Mm-hmm. That may be what we're going to end on is that yeah. nothing is permanent. Yeah. And this feels pretty permanent, but it's going to get turned around. And are we going to find the success that we found in the '90s? Maybe not. Is this rock bottom? Who knows? I sure hope it is. I'm sure Scott Frosher hopes it is. I'm pretty sure most of Husker Nation hopes this is rock bottom. But guess what? We got Wisconsin in two weeks. <laughs> we got at Maryland the week after that, which is another great opportunity for rock bottom. And then at home against Iowa, I sure hope that's not rock bottom, but it could be Husker Nation. It's going to be a long next four weeks. And then potentially a really long offseason. <laughs> oh, for sure a really long offseason. But hey, this, Nebraska, this, Nebraska, Nebraska basketball. And then the spring game is going to roll around, game. and I'll have convinced myself that we're going to make a bowl game again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, oh, and, you know, that's another question we should answer on the grab bag, Elijah, is what do we even have to look forward to next season? Who's who's returning? Who's Why is next year supposed to be so much better than this year? We should answer that as well. We're going to start that, and I think we're also planning on doing a postseason what to look for in the off season? Yeah, we can put type it in episode there too. Yeah, maybe we should just save maybe, it for that. No, I think we can talk about it both. All right. Um, depends if somebody sent that question in this week. You twisted my. You twisted my. Oh, we'll have to. We'll, we'll have, have to. to we we'll have to look in the grab bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so with that, Husker Nation, uh, thanks for listening another week. We know it wasn't an easy podcast to listen to. We know it wasn't an easy game to watch. But thanks for being here with us and and feeling it feeling it alongside me and Elijah uh, because we're very sad and. Thanks for being sad with us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for experiencing this with uh, Husker Nation. Um, things will get better. It's not permanent. Hey, I love you, Elijah. I love you, Ben, and I love Husker football. And I'm not ready to see what Wisconsin's going to do to us, but we'll talk to you uh, about that at a later date because I don't want to think about it. We will see you tomorrow on our Grab Back episode. Until then, it's Ben and I'm Elijah. Elijah. Hey. <laughs> see you later, Huskers. <laughs>